Shalom, I'm Doron Jamchi, Israeli tour guide. And I'm Tal Jamchi, researcher, artist, and Doron's wife. Welcome to the Bible Reflection Guide, the Bible study podcast where we explore the connection between the New Testament and the Old Testament in an Israeli context. Before we start today, we're excited to announce that we are now available also on Apple Podcast and on Google Podcast. This episode is part two of Names in the Bible. We recommend that you first hear our last episode, Names in the Bible Part 1, Name Interpretations. In the previous episodes, we read from Matthew 1.21 that the angel said to Joseph to name the child born Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So now I want to continue in the same chapter, starting from verse 22. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. So, in our last episode, we talked about the name Yeshua, Yehoshua, which means God saves. And in the verse I just read, it also says Emmanuel, which translates to God with us. God appears in both cases. So, what is the difference? In the English, we say God. God saves, God with us. But in the Hebrew, those are two distinct words. We have the word that appears in the name Yehoshua, which is Yeho, and we have Immanuel, so the word El, we have the word El. Mm. And I want to explain the two words. So El means God. There is another word. Elohim, this is the most common word. It is the plural of El or Eloha sometimes. And this is what we call a pluralis majestatis. Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) And this is just a way of saying that we address to God because he's a deity. We address him in the most honorable way. So it is uh, in the plural way. Elohim. But then we have the name Yeho, which comes from the Tetragrammaton, which is a four letter word. In the Hebrew, it is Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. And when we transcript it into English, it will be YHWH or YHVH. Now, in the Jewish tradition, we do not pronounce the name. This is a tradition that, according to our understanding, goes back as far as to the time of Jesus. And as a part of this tradition, we will not use the explicit name of the Lord, and we will use the term Adonai. So every time I say Adonai, what I mean is the YHWH name, or yod Hey vav Hey. Now, this is something that is also appear in the translations to the Bible, whether it be the Septuagint, the Greek translation that was done uh, before the time of Jesus, or in some of the translations in English, like the King James, for example. Because when they have the name of the Lord, the explicit name of the Lord, they wrote the word Lord with all capital letters in English. So every time you read in your English Bible the the word LORD, all capital letters, it means 
that this is the place where you have in the Hebrew the explicit name. So what is the meaning of the name of God? We know that the word El means God, but we have the explicit name of God that is used hundreds of times in the Hebrew Bible. So what is his meaning? In the research field, we have an interpretation based on linguistics, and they understand it as related to a verb, uh, an ancient verb from the Semitic languages that is related to passion, to love, to be someone who is zealous. And this interpretation might fit well with uh, a verse that God speaks of his name in Exodus 34 verse 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So jealous here is not just envy. God is not envy of other gods, right? He is the God. But he is zealous for what he possesses. He has passion and he is looking in a zealous way to protect what he has. And we have another example for a jealousy like this in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul here, he loves the Corinthians. He wants them to be godly. He wants them uh, to pursue Christ. And because of that, he said, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And this jealousy, it's something that provoke someone like Paul to love the Corinthians, to show them care, to even even harsh sometimes, but he loves them. And this comes from the deep love of God, from the zealousness of God, from the passion of God. And we know that in 1 John 4, 16, it says, God is love. So this is one interpretation of the name. But we also have another interpretation that is not so explicit but we can understand it by the way it is used in the Bible. So I want us to turn to Exodus chapter 3 and read verses 13 to 16. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. So after God says to Moses that his name is I am who I am, he proclaims that his name is forever. But I don't remember hearing this name, I am who I am, ever since that moment anywhere in the Bible. So why does he say that this name is forever? Correct, because we see here we have two proclamations 
of God. My first proclamation is the answer to Moses. What shall I say to the children of Israel? What is his name? So he said, I am who I am. And then he suddenly says again, you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, and so on. So the Lord here, which appears in all capital letters, it actually hints us that this is the word Adonai. This is the explicit name. Mm. So what he proclaims, he proclaims that the name that he stands forever is actually the explicit name that mm. we say Adonai. Mm. But then it, it is connected to what he said previously. He said, I am who I am. Well, although this is not a bad translation, <laughs> in my opinion, but in the Hebrew it doesn't really say, I am who I am. Literally, in the Hebrew, he said, which translates to, I will be who I will be. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that the verbs in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, they are not so distinct. There are various ways to use the verbs. For example, if I take an example from Jeremiah 1 verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. So it says, Before I formed you in the past, and I knew you. But if I take the literal translation from the Hebrew, it will be as, Before I will form you in the womb, I knew you. So we have a play here with future tense and past tense. Maybe it's like a future tense, but it's, it's related to a, a past event. So we have different plays with it in the Hebrew Bible. So basically, uh, because the, this way, this poetic way of the usage of verbs in the Bible, when God says, I am who I am, or Eheyeh, Asher Eheyeh, you can understand it as I will be, or I was, or something that basically it's something that stands forever. Mm. So to say I am who I am, it's true because God stands forever. Mm. But to be more precise, it is actually saying I am the one who was, I am the one who is, and I am the one who is to come. Mm-hmm. And And I want to take us to another verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, here in this verse, uh, we have the proclamation of God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, if I take it, who is and who was and who is to come, this is actually the explicit name. This is the interpretation of the name. And to prove it even more, the word here, Almighty, in the Greek is Pantocrator. And this this word, Pantocrator, is used in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation, for the word tzavaot, or host. 
So for the sake of our understanding, let's replace the word Almighty in the verse with Sabaot, or the host. So we can read it as, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. This is the name Adonai Sabaot, says the Lord Adonai Sabaot. Here we have the formula that appears, for example, in Isaiah 47, verse 4. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And here we see in Revelation the proclamation that I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord of hosts, but in the explicit way of explaining the name, I am the Lord who is and who was and who is to come. And this is the meaning of the name from the inner interpretation, inner, inner biblical interpretation. Mm, wow, that's really interesting. So now we have a deeper understanding of the name of God. And we talked about the names Yehoshua and Emmanuel, which are constructed out of God's names. One of them has the name El, and the other one has a part of the explicit name Yeho. Correct. So the names Yehoshua and Emmanuel are called theophoric name. Theophoric contains the word Theos in Greek God. So it's a name that contains the name of God. So in Yehoshua, the name of God appears in the beginning and in Emmanuel, the name of God appears in the end, right? Right. So we have different examples. For example, let's take names with the name of El in the beginning. We have Eleazar, we have Elisha, Elisha in Hebrew, and we have El Natan. Which is also my brother's name. But we have also names with El that appears in the end, just like Emmanuel. We have Gabriel, Ezekiel, Yehezkel in Hebrew, Samuel, and Israel. We also have theophoric name with the explicit name in the beginning. So we have Yehoshua, we also have Yehohanan, which is John, and we have Yehonatan, which is Jonathan. Sometimes when the name of God appears in the beginning, it is shortened. So we don't say today Yehohanan or Yehonatan, we make it in a shorter way Yohanan Jonathan Jonathan and there are also theophoric name with the name of God that appears in the end such as Yeshayahu Isaiah Yermiyahu Jeremiah Hezekiah Ezekiah and Nehemiah which is Nehemiah and of course sometimes both name can appear in in the name of a person for example the name Elijah is Eliyahu, which is El, Eli, my God, is Yahu, the name of God. We also see that the, the names, just like Yehoshua, which is God saves, uh, we see that we have a name and a verb. So if we take an example with the verb Natan, Natan is give. So we have a name like El Natan, 
God gave, God give. Nathan El, which is also God gave. We have Yehonatan, Jonathan, which is also God gave, but with the explicit name. And we have Nathanyahu, which is also the same meaning of God gave, but with the explicit name. So all of those names mean the same thing. They have the same meaning, God gave. The only difference is whether it appears with the word for God or the explicit name. And the change in the place doesn't affect the meaning. For example, we have the king called Jeconiah in the Hebrew, Yehaniah. But in other verses in the Hebrew, he appears as Yehoyachin, Jehoyakin. So, Jeconiah, we have the name of God in the end. But in another place, Yehoyachin, it's the name of God in the beginning. Mm. That's really interesting. Um, are there any other examples of theophoric names, but with names of other deities and not God? Of course, this is a phenomenon that is not specifically for Israel. We have theophoric name with foreign gods. For example, Ramses. It has the name of the god Ra. Nebuchadnezzar has the name of the god Nebu. And Belshazzar has the name of the god Bel. Belshazzar is also, this is the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave to Daniel. So Daniel has the name El. So Nebuchadnezzar changed Daniel's name that contains the Israelite deity to a Babylonian deity, Belshazzar. And of course, a foreign deity that is very famous in the Bible is the god Baal, Baal. So we have names with the name Baal, like Hannibal or Jerubal and Eshbal. Mm. Now we have something interesting specifically with the two names. Jerubal is the judge Gideon and Eshbal was one of the sons of King Saul. But those names also appear with a different word. Instead of Baal, we have them with the name Boshet, which means a disgrace. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Judges chapter 6, verse 32, it says, Therefore, on that day he called him Jerubal, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. So here we see that the name of Gideon was changed to Jerubal, and his father that gave him his name explicitly explained that it is related to Baal. He explained it as plead against him, have a fight with him. But it contains the name Baal. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 21, it says, Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jeruboshet. So here we have someone who retells the story of Abimelech, the son of Gideon, that appears in the book of Judges. But he changed his name to Jeruboshet. Another example, in 1 Chronicles 8.33, Ner begot Kish, Kish begot Saul, and Saul begot Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbal. So here we have the list of the sons of King Saul. And we have the last name, Eshbal. But in 2 Samuel 
chapter 2 verse 8 it says but Abner the son of Ner commander of Saul's army took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim so here we see again that the name of Baal is changed to Boshet this is because one of the writers or one who copied those parts from the book of 2nd Samuel didn't like it uh, that the name of Baal appears in those names so he changed it to say disgrace instead of this foreign God's name so we see that in the Bible there are also theophoric names with foreign gods but sometimes the writer changed the name to express his perception of faith so now I want to go back to the names Yehoshua and Emmanuel that we started with so the name Yehoshua which we translated as God saved because it has the name Yeho which is a part of the explicit name it is more precise to translate it as Adonai saves specifically the God of Israel Adonai saves where Emmanuel is God with us just like mm -hmm. Matthew wrote to us mm -hmm. but I want to ask you Tal if I want to translate the word with us into Hebrew what would you say so in modern Hebrew we will say itanu because saying imanu is a more formal language but both words mean exactly the same right so we can say uh, if I want to say you are with us I can say you are itanu or I can say you are imanu just like in Emmanuel this is modern Hebrew where the words are the same but in the Bible they are not exactly the same so to understand the difference I want to read Numbers 22 we will start from verse 7 to 35 the context is that the children of Israel are out of Egypt they about to finish 40 years in the desert and now they come to the border of Moab and the king of Moab saw the great multitude of the children of Israel and he decided that he wants to curse them so he sent officers to Balaam so now we read from verse 7 numbers 22 so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with a diviner's fee in their hand and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak and he said to them lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me so the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permissions to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes, more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, 
and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse these people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God, to do less or more. Now therefore please, you also stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night, and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princess of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused, because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princess of Balak. Okay, so you probably noticed there is something very weird in this story. Because in the beginning of the story, the princess of Balak came to Balaam and Balaam said, I need to consult with God. And God said, who are those men with you? And he told him that Balak sent them and God said, okay, you are not to go with them. And then more people came. In verse 20, we read that God said to Balaam, he can go with them. And verse 21 says that he indeed went with them. But then immediately it says, God's anger was aroused because he went. And how did God prove him wrong? With a talking donkey. How would you feel if a donkey would prove you wrong? How would you feel if a donkey was talking to you? <laughs> <laughs> so, we're still left with a, with an open question. If God 
told Balaam in verse 20 that he can go with them. And in verse 21, Balaam went with them. So why was God angry with him in the first place? He did exactly what God told him to do. Mm -hmm. So in the Hebrew, what we have here is two distinct words. In the beginning of the story, if we go back to verses 13 and 14, when God is asking, who are those people with you? They use the word im, which is like in Emmanuel, with us. So in verse 13, God did not give permission to Balaam to go with him, the princess. And that is what they said to Balak in verse 14. Balaam refuses to come with us, him, us. But then when Balak sent more people and Balaam said, you can stay here and he went to consult with God. The answer of God is a little bit different. In verse 20, he says, you can go with them. But in this time, he said, itam, not im. But in verse 21, Balaam rose in the morning, saddled in donkey, and went im, the princess. So God said, you are to go itam. But Balaam changed it back to the word im. But... Don, we just said that these two words mean exactly the same. In modern Hebrew, but in biblical Hebrew, it is a little bit different. Mm. And I'll give you an example. Let's say you and I want to go to Tel Aviv. And we decide to take the train to Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. We go to the train station. We go on the train and we sit. We go together. So I go with you and you go with me. Mm -hmm. But we are in a train full of people. So there are other people with us mm -hmm. on the train. Maybe they are going to the same station, to the same destination, all right? Mm -hmm. But the status of me sitting with you is different than us and the other people who sit with us on the train. Oh, I see. I see the difference now. Right? So it is as though saying, when I'm with you, we have the same purpose. We are, have the same goal. We are in one mind going to the same direction. Mm -hmm. The other people on the train, they are just with us. And we can arrive to the same destination, but we are not heading to the same place. We are not thinking of exactly the same. We're not together in the same way that you and I are together. Exactly. So going back to the name Immanuel, it has the word im in the name, Immanuel. So the meaning is not just in a sense, God is with us, like we are on the train and he's somewhere on the train. It's God is with us, connected in the closest way. This is the meaning of the name Emmanuel. And so where Matthew quoted the prophecy from Isaiah 7, verse 14, that the virgin shall bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, the son of the virgin, which is going to appear in this world. Jesus, he is going to be Emmanuel. 
El, God, fully present, supporting us and connected to us in the closest way. Praise the Lord. With this, we finished our two episodes about names in the Bible. And now, after we have introduced the subject and talked about meanings of names in the Bible, and how in many of the cases the name is an inseparable part of the story, we will suggest several name interpretations that we find intriguing and that you can reflect upon on your own when reading the Bible. The first name I want to address is Elijah that we already mentioned in this episode. Elijah in Hebrew is Eliyahu and Eliyahu means Adonai is my God. So Elijah's name is actually a proclamation that Adonai with the explicit name is the true God. Now think about it, how it comes to play in the story of Elijah that he proclaims that God is the Lord. The Lord is the true God, especially in 1 Kings chapter 18 when he is confronted with the prophets of Baal. Mm. Another name is of the judge Jephthah. That story is in Judges 11. Jephthah in Hebrew is Iftah, which means open or to open. So as you read Judges 11 in the story of Jephthah, notice two things that are open in the story. We also have the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth has a lot of name. It starts with the family, the family of Elimelech, which uh, his name is God is King, and his wife is Naomi. Naomi means pleasant, and they have two sons, Mahlon and Kilion, which their son's name are actually sickness and destruction. So you see the whole background of the story is destruction, it's sickness. And then the story moves to the daughters-in-law of Naomi, Ruth and Orpah. Ruth meaning quenched the thirst. And Orpah's name is the back of the neck. So you can see that in the story, Ruth stayed with Naomi and the story continues that she is the one giving her relief and restoration while Orpah turned her back to her and was out of the story. In the story, we also have Boaz. Boaz, uh, his name means in him there is strength. So as you read the story in the book of Ruth, look to the strength of Boaz. Look what he, uh, the strength that is exemplified by Boaz in the story. Mm. And of course, from the lineage of Ruth and Boaz came King David. Mm. David's name means beloved. And so as you read the stories about David in the books of Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and look at the places where David is shown, notice the verb to love or beloved. Notice the affection that David received from others and where he shows affections to others. It is in his name, beloved. Mm. And of course, there are some interesting names in the New Testament. Right. 
yet we need to take into account that this is a period where people are named after the heroes of the Bible. Mm. And so the names that appear in the New Testament many times give an allusion to an earlier story. Mm. For example, Joseph, the husband of Mary, has dreams just like Joseph, the son of Jacob, in the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. And Paul, who is called also Saul, persecutes the church of Jesus, who is the offspring of David. So it's just like King Saul persecuted David. And yet, we can still find names that their meaning is related to the story. For example, in Luke 19, we have a story of a man named Zacchaeus, a tax collector who climbed a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus' name in Hebrew is Zakai, and the meaning is someone who is found innocent in judgment, as in not guilty. And the sycamore tree in the Hebrew is the shikma, which comes from the verb shikum, which is rehabilitation. So think of the name Zakai, someone who is found not guilty and is on the sycamore tree, is going through rehabilitation. Think about that when you read Luke 19. We also have the family of John the Baptist, which each one of them has a meaning to his name. We have the father, Zechariah, the mother, Elizabeth, and the son, John. Zechariah in Hebrew is Zechariah, which means Adonai remembers, with the explicit name, Adonai remembers. Elizabeth is Elisheva, which means God's oath. And John means Adonai's grace, or Adonai is gracious. So, think about the meaning of those names as you read Luke chapter 1, Especially notice how they come into play in the Song of Zechariah in Luke 1, verses 68 to 79. Wow! Now I want to go and read the stories again. We hope we've encouraged you to learn more. We invite you to come to our Facebook group, Bible Reflection Guide, where we've posted a designated post where you're welcome to ask any question you have, make any remark, and share with us your thoughts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Reflection Guide. If you enjoyed, we will appreciate if you share this with your friends and family. Don't forget to follow this podcast by clicking the bell icon and stay updated when a new episode is coming up. We will appreciate if you could rate this episode by pressing the three-dot menu. For more content, visit our Facebook group, Bible Reflection Guide, where we discuss subjects that we spoke about in the podcast. For more reading, please visit Doron's blog on the website doronjtourguide.com. That is D-O-R-O-N-J-tourguide.com. Links to all of the above appear in the episode description. See you next time on Bible Reflection Guide. God bless and later.